Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Storybox podcast. I am Jay Phantom and I'm your host. Today's episode is with the awesome Jillian Tarecki. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is or her amazing podcast, Jillian on Love, you're in for a real treat. But Jillian is a certified relationship coach, teacher, and writer who for 20 years has taught others how to transform their relationships with themselves. Under the tutelage of, get this, Tony Robbins, who is an alumni of the Storybox and world-renowned family therapist, Chloe Maddenis. Jillian is certified by the Robbins Maddenis Center for Strategic Intervention, which is a renowned coaching program known for its innovative strategic solutions to the most difficult relationship problems, which you will definitely hear more about during this conversation as Jillian and I tackle all the wonderful things regarding relationships, love, what it actually means within a relationship, how do you find the love of your life, how to actually keep it, how to deal with difficult breakups and so much more. So I really think you guys are going to love this episode and all the wisdom and the advice that it carries. So if you do get something from it, Please share it around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, don't forget that my book as well is still out. If you had forgotten about it, I apologize. But um, I probably should have been speaking about it a little bit more. But yes, I have a book if you are new to the show. It's called The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down. And the links for that are in the show notes below too. Uh, and also on that note as well, I have partnered up with the incredible Joel and Zach Perna of Slouch Potato. Uh, they have created this incredible brand as well as this incredible clothing line that I wear pretty much all the time. It is the comfiest clothes you'll ever wear. They are meant to be pajamas, but they don't look like pajamas. At least most of the stuff that I wear doesn't look like pajamas, that is. Um, And it is just super, super comfortable and people can't really tell the difference whether you're actually wearing pajamas or not until you tell them and you see the look on their faces when you do tell them. So if you want a 10% discount, you can go to slouchpotato.com and type in uh, Storybox at checkout. That is Storybox, all one word, at checkout for 10% off. And I hope that you guys really enjoy the comfortable benefits of amazing clothing like Slouch Potato. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the Storybox as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Jillian Tarecki. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and obviously your wisdom and your advice. I listened to the conversation you had with Lewis Howes and loved every single minute of it. There was so many gems in there. I was like, I was on my run and normally I don't uh, write things down, but I wanted to write things down after that conversation. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. That's great. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, so thank you so much for, for doing that episode. Um, but my first question for you before we dive into 
your work and why you do what you do is what does success look like for you? Hmm. What does success look like for me? Um, feeling content with myself is, is then I know I'm really successful feeling like I, um, that I can be both simultaneously wanting more, but also okay with where I'm at. Yeah. I find that to be success. I, I find, I find it, I, I find myself to, to, to have great success. Um, if I have a good night's sleep, I find, I find success in, you know, if I wake up and I'm not, if I have a relatively low stress day, not because of what is or isn't happening in my day, but because I'm how I'm responding to my day. That to me is a huge measure of success. So um, that's what success means to me. I think that um, it has very little to do with achievement. Um, But, you know, I, I think that also we find success in achieving things that we never thought that we could. And it's not because we have the thing that we feel so accomplished. It's because we never thought that we would be able to accomplish that. And so what is it that we did? What is it that changed within ourselves that made it that we can get that? So I find success in that, but true success is when we are able to find that feeling of success in the little things. Yeah. Because if we're always chasing the dragon of having to accomplish these really big things, we are going to be depressed and unhappy and angry and miserable. So that's how I define it. How does one find overall contentment in, in their life and finding harmony within their relationships, within all kinds of aspects of being alive and living this life? I mean, if you figure it out, will you let me know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm trying to learn. <laughs> as as I'm still figuring it out. Um, but certainly the things that I've learned along the way that's contributed to some semblance of understanding of it is not sweating the small stuff, which is really hard. Um, it's really our relationship with the demands that we have in life. It's really about um our relationship with ourselves because oftentimes we stress out over little things because well number one it could be a habit and it could be a habit that's been reinforced because we watch mom or dad do that constantly right but oftentimes it's also we'll stress we'll stress the small stuff because we're so afraid of being a failure we're so afraid of not getting it right where all our perfectionism bs gets in the way and so, um, yeah, I think that we we find more contentment in ourselves and in our relationships when we come to fully accept who we are and we're not constantly trying to conform or to be perfect or to expect perfection from someone else or we're trying to constantly change someone else. So I think that um, the very the root of of finding of experiencing more contentment in life is being able to accept who we are as we are, being able to accept someone else for who they are, and being able to accept the present moment. Honestly, have you read for what it is? Have you read that book? Uh, Don't sweat the small stuff. It's just small stuff. No, I have not. Should I? Uh, it's a brilliant book. Honestly, okay. it just reminded me everything that you were saying pretty much reminded me of when I read that book. Uh, he basically details, I think it's a 101 things that we oftentimes sweat over most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like those very, very small, finer details that compound themselves <laughs> in life. And we yes. oftentimes feel constricted. We constrict ourselves because of those small things. It's amazing how we do that, isn't it? It's It's really amazing how we do that. And, you know, that's why 
all um, spiritual and ancient texts and leaders, they all, I mean, from all different backgrounds and cultures and, and lineages all speak to one thing, which is this concept of non-attachment and letting go. And so what is really the definition of suffering? It's literally being attached to having things to be a certain way all the time. So letting go of like the small stuff is really quite liberating. And you also mentioned uh, perfection. I mean, this whole idea of we're trying to chase this idea of what perfect is, but we don't really understand what perfect actually means because there's no such thing as perfect <laughs> or we yeah. haven't seen it. So exactly. like this conundrum that we end up in that we've just got to let go of that idea of uh, far reaching for this false idea of perfection almost because it's yes. not going to happen. Not going to happen. No, never going to happen. But we're bombarded with conditioning all the time. We're bombarded with the conditioning of society, of culture, um, family conditioning, uh, the conditioning that we have as a man or as a woman in the world, you know. So we're bombarded with conditioning all the time. So it takes tremendous inner resilience to face all the conditioning that we have that tells us that we have to be and achieve a certain way and to not um, hate ourselves because we're not being able to live up to all those standards. How do we end up getting to the place where we're truly comfortable with who we are so that it doesn't impact on our surroundings, all the people that are within our close proximity, like they can actually you're showing up as who you really are. You know, this is who you really are. And as such, that doesn't impact on people that are looking at you for who you are and they just accept you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I'll answer the first part of the question first, which is that, you know, it's a process, you know, self-acceptance is a process in many ways. It's a lifelong process and it gets better with age I mean, there's so many things that we have that we are afraid of with aging, you know, the obvious things, but we don't talk enough about the benefits of aging. And one of the benefits of aging is not caring so much about what other people think and being able to love ourselves anyway even though we don't we're not perfect and we're very well aware that we're not perfect or even anywhere close to it um and then the second part of your question you 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 asked about how it relates to others can you ask that again yeah so people i guess not trying to be so worried about what other people think so to speak because you're showing up as who you are you know this is who you are but on the on the outset, you also are somewhat wary of people and how they perceive you in life and how they sort of want to give their two cents worth to you. How do you not really um, become so suggestible? Yeah, so, so suggestible, but then also conform back to what other people want you to be. And I think that's part of being being highly suggestible. I mean, I think that. Um, part of what we want to, what I believe we need to try to cultivate within ourselves is not to be so suggestible, is not to be so easily influenced. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It takes, look, it just takes a lot of inner strength to say, no, this is, this is what I believe in. And if you don't believe in it, then that's fine. Look, nobody, there isn't a single person on earth who isn't, I mean, maybe there's a couple, but none, none that we know who doesn't care at all about what other people think of them. I mean, we can't, you know, we are tribal animals. So the need to belong is very much innate. Um, But you just, start to care less and less as you get older. And, and some people care less because that's how they were raised um, to be, they're not, they're just not as self-conscious. But 
it's very, 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 it's lifelong journey. And it's very rewarding when you start to do things because you believe in it, not because it's what's is expected of you. So a big part of that process also is changing your relationship with your with your parents. And oftentimes that change that you make with your relationship with your parents is a change that you make in here up in your mind. It's not so much literal. It's it's not seeing your parents as these figures that you need to please all the time, because most of the time they're not even wanting that, you know, often parents try to mold their children into something because they want their children to be safe, to be safe. So they want them to have a certain amount of success so they don't have to worry. So they won't be on the street. Right. So we take all that in. And then as adults, we're still unconsciously walking around trying to please mommy and daddy. When really, if we can change that relationship in our minds with them as, oh, I don't actually have to do this for them anymore. I think it's also... I have to do this for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right on many levels there. And also, I have realized that I think parents act the way they do, not also because they don't want you to make the same mistakes that they made growing up. And it's like the the past can oftentimes repeat themselves. Like the parents' sins, like the sins of the father, right, will come down through to the kids. And I've... I've made similar mistakes to that of what my mum has and, and and I've had to learn the hard way and she warned me of that. But ultimately, I ended up making that choice in the first place and ended up getting hurt. And it was almost like, I told you so kind of moment there. But now at the age that I am at and, and, and as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize that the way I was brought up, albeit the best that my parents uh, tried to do with what they had. I don't blame them at all, but there were certain things within that that I need to break away from and find my own path and find my yes. own understanding of the world and, and my own understanding of uh, life pretty much yes. and, and how yes. it works for me. So yeah, that's my interpretation of what you just said. Absolutely. I agree. It's called growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Growing it's up not- is fun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's loads of fun. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to learn. And honestly, I feel, I don't know if this is uh, like you or what you've experienced, Jillian, but some days you just don't feel like you can put a foot right at all, like with anyone. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Yeah, of course. Of course. Usually those days just pass though. Yeah. Right. Those hard days, though. Yeah, when you feel like you can't please anyone. Yeah. Or no one's actually happy. Yeah. Those days you have to ask yourself, is this about me or is this about them? In other words, is it their state that they woke up in that is reacting to whatever it is I said or or didn't say or did or didn't do? Or is it or is it me and my state? Good good question to actually ask, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because you are a relationship coach, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of experience in this area. So this may seem like a dumb question to start off with, but why are relationships in general important for us? Um relationships, all relationships determine the quality of our lives. Oftentimes a person will come to me and let's just say they're struggling. They might be struggling in their love life, right? Or they're struggling anywhere in life, but most of the time they come to me because they're struggling in their love life. I always want to know first about the other relationships in their lives because sometimes when we make a shift in our relationship world whether it's with family friends co-workers lovers we change our lives Mm. and so um we are 
we are pack animals, we're tribal species, we're meant to connect. And so the people who we have in our orbit, so to speak, really determines our whether or not we're going to be happy or not in many ways. So sometimes uh, a person will be really struggling with their mental health in a way, like maybe they're experiencing a lot of anxiety or a lot of depression. And the first thing that I always go to is I want to look very carefully and understand very carefully all the key relationships in that person's life. Because what I have found is that usually there's a key relationship there that's not working or that is, you know, troubled, you know, on the rocks. And it's by helping that person uh, clean up that relationship, make it better, heal that relationship, walk away from someone if they need to, whatever it is that needs to be done. It's usually through the 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 relationship that that person then heals whatever is really ailing them psychologically. So relationship is life. So when one relationship in your life is out of alignment, then pretty much all the others suffer? Well, it's not that all the other relationships suffer necessarily. It's just that if a key relationship is really out of alignment in your life, then your life won't feel as in a line, it won't feel very aligned. So you might be experienced. And then that might then obviously bleed into other relationships, but you might be struggling a lot um, with just areas of your life, because really what's happening is that there's a key relationship in your life that needs attention. Um, And then there are people who really struggle in their love lives because they don't have enough of a community. They don't have enough of stronger other relationships or, you know, they have some healing to do with a parent or both parents. And then once that gets sorted out, then in many ways, their love life gets sorted out. So diving further into the romantic or love life forms yeah. of relationships that we do have, how do we know that we are 100% ready? Are we ever 100% ready for a relationship? I don't know that we are ever 100% ready for a relationship. I think that, um, you know, people always want to know that. And unfortunately, there are no guarantees. You just have to get in one and and figure it out. You know, like this, this goes back to perfectionism. Like you learn how to be better at relationships by being in a relationship, and doing the work while you're in a relationship. So you may have to do some work to prepare yourself for your next relationship, but the greatest education is going to be the actual relationship itself. And, you know, I, I recently posted something that, you know, people got all sensitive about, like sometimes the best way to get over a relationship is a new relationship. And that doesn't mean you don't process. I never would say you just jump from relationship to relationship, but I have worked with many people and I've experienced myself that are just stuck grieving over someone too long, right? They're just stuck in the rumination and then they meet someone else that just opens up their world and they're like, they totally forget about the X. So there's no rules, you know, like people want this like rule book and there isn't. How do you know you're ready for a relationship when you're willing to, um, when you're willing to take the risk that you might get hurt. So that's one thing. When you're willing to let compromise on some of your preferences in life, like, you know, if you, if you like, you know, your your towels in your bathroom folded a certain way and the your partner likes them another way, you know, can you just let go of that and just have if it means that they're going to clean up the bathroom, can they just fold it the way that they want to fold it? So it's certain things like that. You're ready for a relationship when you're ready to move through life, not just as I, but as we. So, you know, you can't be selfish and be in a relationship. So those are, those are the three things I would say. So ideally, even though you are afraid that 
some of the things that you might say or some of the things that might you might do may hurt another person you still make the choice to get into a relationship and then you try and figure it out along the way is that right Yes. Or, you know, most people are more afraid of being hurt than being the person who hurts. Mm. That's what Mm. usually keeps people single for a really long time because they don't want to experience the pain of rejection, abandonment and all of that. But, you know, we, you know, if you want to protect yourself from that, you have to live in a bubble for the rest of your life. Well, you can't really escape rejection at all because it's going to come in some other fashion of your life. Like it's going to be your romantic relationships or be in your business, could be family, whatever it is, it's going to happen. So you're you're running away from the inevitable. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You're running away from the inevitable. And I think that um, at some point you just have to say, is it, you know, I'd rather have loved and lost and to have never loved at all. What if you feel like you're not good at relationships? Um, if someone said that to me, I would want to know why they thought that. So I would want to know why. And then I would want to help them get better. You know, like, are they not good at relationships because they're not good communicators? Are they not good at relationships because they shut down all the time? Are they not good at relationships because they're constantly anxious? Are they not good at relationships because they're selfish? Are they not good at relationships because, you know, they're so terrified of being abandoned that they sabotage a good thing so that they don't have to get hurt? So I want to know why. Let's talk about... I would want to work on that, yeah. Sorry for interrupting you, but let's talk about the whole idea of selfishness and and what would be classified as being selfish because you are two people trying to make things work uh for you you've both got differences of opinions likes dislikes that sort of thing you both got different routines so what would you perceive as being somewhat selfish or too selfish that can't make the relationship work Right. Well, the first thing that I'll say is that so when you decide to be in a committed relationship, what has to become most important to you is that relationship. So therefore, you make certain decisions that are for the good of the relationship. It's like if you start a company, you you want to do you want to make decisions that are great for the company. So that might mean hiring certain people, that might be firing certain people, whatever it is. But many of us, even if we're not quote unquote selfish, but because we get so scared of being hurt and we're so, so protective, we get into relationships with this one track mind of, am I, am I getting my needs met? And we don't think enough about, am I meeting their needs? Where do I need to negotiate and compromise? Like what's good for the relationship versus what's just good for me. And so selfishness in a relationship is when we, um, there's a few things. It's like, we sometimes we get afraid. So then we go into survival mode. And I'm not talking about afraid because the person is, I mean, it could be literally just like our own stuff, our own abandonment stuff. And so we go into, you know, survival mode and we make it about our needs and what we're getting and what we're not getting. And we forget that there's this other person here who needs things too. So selfishness is when we are just constantly only thinking about ourselves in the relationship and we're not thinking about the other person and we're not thinking about the good of the relationship. How do we communicate that properly to our partner without sort of offending them, without making them making the situation worse, per se. Um, how do we communicate that we think that they've been selfish? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's first, it's about asking for what it is that you want more than anything else. Like what I really would like more of is this. What I think would be really good for us as a couple is this. And that's what I need. That's what needs to happen. Are you on board with this? So it'd be more, you would do that 
um, it's like relationship suicide. If you were to say you're selfish and you don't think about anyone but yourself, that's going, that's not, that's going to be a hard thing to repair. And if you really, really, really believe that about your partner, then you shouldn't be with them. Because that person that has been selfish may not realize that they are being selfish until that until that partner actually says to them, hey, wake up, you know. Yes. And it does hurt oftentimes for one partner to say to the other partner, hey, you're being selfish, you're not meeting my needs. Yes. It's like, okay, what do we do in that scenario if they're not willing to uh, compromise or if they're not willing to adjust and and fix those areas of their life? Are you pretty much saying that we shouldn't be with that person? Okay, so let me backtrack. So it's not just you're not meeting my needs because, I mean, this whole concept of needs is just sort of like a little overdone, you know? It has to be more specific, you know, like... You're not meeting my needs. See you later. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, what do you even mean by... Yeah, I think it's... You brought up a very good point. So we become unconscious in our relationships often. And um, sometimes we, we forget to pay attention to our loved one in the way that, that we need. Right. So you wake them up and it look, it looks like different things. Sometimes it really is like, you have been ignoring me. You haven't like you have, or you've been like checked out like, hello, I'm in this relationship too. So it's, sometimes it has to be very firm and it's just like, you know, you do have to wake your partner up. When you say something like that, And of course, there's so much context that it depends on so many things. But if if your partner is then responsive to that, that, oh, God, you know what? You're so right. I'm so sorry. You're so because. Name calling is not going to get your relationship anywhere, but you can be strong and forceful and assertive while also being incredibly vulnerable. Like, hey, I feel forgotten about here. Like. What's going on? And then ideally, partner B would be like, wow, you're right. And I'm really sorry. So the ability to apologize is so very important. Um, I think that if you've learned how to ask for what you need, your partner is consistently unconscious. They're not doing any work. They're not changing. Yeah, I mean, no. Why would you stay in that relationship like that? I wouldn't. It's a hard pill to Um, swallow. It's a hard, of course. But it doesn't mean like, oh, my partner, they disappointed me. Now I'm walking away from the relationship. No, of course not. We take full accountability. We ask, I mean, there's just certain people who will not... um, do their end of the bargain of a relationship. So I don't think you should stick around for that. So what if someone, let's just say they have admitted to their partner that they have been selfish, they have committed to doing work on themselves, let's just say that, but that other person doesn't want to be with them anymore because of the fact that they were selfish and because of the fact that they need more help. Let's just say that. Well, why do you even have to work on yourself? You just have to work. You just have to become more present, (laughs) right? Like you haven't been showing up. You haven't been meeting my needs. I don't then want the partner to then go on like some shamanic journey into the mountains and work on themselves. I want them to be right here with me and show up. So the working on yourself is the working on the relationship. So I think we're talking about two different things. I think if 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 you're in a relationship with someone who's really struggling with something like say let's say addiction and they're not, you know, willing to work on themselves, that's a whole different thing. Um you know, I look, I I if someone doesn't want to be with someone else, I, then there I would just want to know why and try to help them repair and if they don't want to be in the relationship then they're done there's nothing I can do for sure um you know if someone says well now they want to do the work but it's too late 
okay, is it? Is it really? Is it really too late for you? That's a personal decision that everyone has to make for themselves. Are there usually many warning signs that a relationship is going to end? Yes. Um, So usually when people, one or both people are rolling their eyes at each other, the relationship is over even if they stay together. Right. It's over. So there's like this almost disdain for being. Yes, it's contempt. It's like, it's really, really deep resentment and disdain for one another, where you have so little respect for the other that they do something and you roll your eyes. It's over. There's very, it's very unlikely that a relationship can be resuscitated after that. Um, Signs that a relationship is over um, is usually also when two people, they become more like roommates. And they've allowed their relationship to get to that point where they're just like roommates for so long that the two of the two of them just they don't even they are to sleep with them would feel like sleeping with a sibling. Mm-hmm. So that's a relationship that can continue, but would have to change form. It wouldn't be a romantic relationship anymore. Um, so those are the, those really are the two that, that are top of mind for sure is that deep contempt and resentment and the, um, just the loss of, of physical attraction. There would have been a a series of things over the course of that relationship. Oh, lots of things that led to that. Yes. What would be some of those things you reckon? Um, well, the contempt and the is, you know, always coming from a lack of communication. It's being disappointed constantly, not and they're not communicating with each other. They're not communicating well. They're creating all this fiction and these stories in their head about the other person. You know, something that I say often is that our inner voices are very, very powerful. They have tremendous influence over our lives. And we all know that in terms of how we talk to ourselves about ourselves, but we don't talk enough about the things that we say about the other inside ourselves. So we create all this fiction, like, I don't know, like, you know, why do they always do that? They always do that because they are blah, 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 blah. And we will do this and never actually have a conversation. You add, you add to that. You're not really connecting. You're not having fun together. You're not doing any fun things together. It's monotonous. And you take those two things together over years. That's what leads to it. How about sex? Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, I I did this podcast episode called sex and sweatpants. (laughs) It was interesting how many people, uh, there are so certain people who didn't get the metaphor. My man finds me really sexy in sweatpants. I'm like, yes, yes, of course. It's it's a metaphor. The metaphor is, you know, there's two parts of a relationship. There's the friendship part. You know, there, there's actually, there's like the friendship part, there's the partnership part. And that's the, we keep the household together. We parent well together. We we problem solve well together. We pay the we talk about money well together. Then there's the friendship part, which is we we have you know we laugh together. We we love to watch the same movies. Like we love to get cozy in a blanket and watch a movie and eat some ice cream and have some popcorn. Right, like that. It's the coziness. And then there's the erotic part of a relationship, which is the part which is about more mystery and more separateness so whereas friendship is about camaraderie and togetherness and the partnership is about camaraderie and togetherness the erotic part is the part where we are um we're not so on top of each other instead we're able to witness our partner even if it's just a moment in their element Mm. 
And we, we all of a sudden see them as this person that we don't own, this person who's not ours to keep necessarily, this person who is not just our boyfriend, not just our girlfriend, not just our partner. They are this very desirable human because we are seen you know, very desirable when we are in our element, right? We all of a sudden, you know, we, or we maybe we'll be out at a dinner or a party and we start to notice that our partner is not just attractive, but is attracting other people. And you start to see that. And then all of a sudden you start to see them in a different light. And so that is the thing that you need, we need to be able to sustain it. And And part of that is that just to bring this full circle is we get very, one of the most overlooked and yet destructive habits in a relationship between two people is the habit of becoming too comfortable, too comfortable in our sweats, too comfortable with bringing home our stress too comfortable with going to the bathroom in front of your partner, which I don't suggest too comfortable, (laughs) too comfortable. Um, thinking that, you know, our partner will never leave us. So, um, therefore I can treat them however I want to treat them. And so part of keeping that passion alive is understanding that like, it's fundamentally understanding and respecting and acknowledging the autonomy that each person has. We are we are all autonomous. And that's why once in a while getting into an argument, not a fight, but a little argument, a difference of opinion with your partner is actually healthy once in a while because it's in those moments that you are reminded of the fact that this is an independent thinker who has, who's not going to let you control him or her and that they're an autonomous being. And so it gives you, it gives you a little bit of a challenge and we need a little bit of a challenge. And there's a little bit of a challenge when you see that the person, when the person can be happy without you, like when we see our partner in their element whatever that element is, maybe it's on a surfboard, maybe it's when they're working, maybe it's when they're parenting, you just see them really in their element. That's the foreplay. Because then we're seeing them as this desirable person that is the one of the things that attracted us to them to begin with. These are all amazing points. And thank you for sharing all that. I guess I wanted to ask you as well, having said all that, why is it that some people cheat on their partner sexually? Yeah. um, So there are some people who will cheat because they're cheaters. They cheat on everyone. Yep. Um, But that is not as common as uh, the person who feels... Well, let me backtrack. So a lot of women will have affairs and statistically a lot of married, I think more married women have affairs than married men. And oftentimes the reason behind that is because women need romance to get turned on. Yeah. Or the vast, let's just say the vast majority of women and men don't. So if they're in a relationship, I'm speaking very heteronormatively, but this happens in gay couples as well, which is their couple, their partner stops foreplay, stops romancing them. And so then they meet someone outside of the relationship and all of a sudden they feel incredibly significant. This is goes for anyone who has an affair and why anyone um, cheats. They don't feel that significant to the person that they're in a relationship with. They might know that they love, that they're loved. They might even, they they probably feel very safe in the relationship, but they feel unseen and bored. That is not, that is not, I'm not condoning their behavior at all. Another reason is, which has nothing to do with the relationship is they don't feel alive inside. 
They feel disconnected from purpose. They feel disconnected from themselves. And they think that by having an affair, what what gets resurrected in them is this person that they used to be before this relationship. So sometimes that affair is an unconscious search for the person who we used to be. It's a search for an identity. Yeah, it's a good point. And I like how you also mentioned that some people are just cheaters. Yeah, some people are just cheaters. Yeah, they are dysfunctional and they don't know how to get close to anyone. And as soon as they get close, that's when they start to cheat or they they don't know how to, they don't know intimacy. Mm. Intimacy is another big topic. I know we could spend ages (laughs) talking about it, but I do want to be respectful of your time, Gillian. So I know it's getting rather late for you there. Uh, Two quick final questions for you, if you don't mind. No. Um, Big one for a lot of people. I wanted to ask you this, actually. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? (laughs) Oh, God. It's so funny because we we started this conversation with self-acceptance. And immediately when you asked that question, my my, I felt so much, I felt not so much, I felt hesitation, a little bit of contraction. I felt uncomfortable with that question because it's like, how dare I even say something that I love about myself? And I think that's so sad that we live in a society that, you know, where you can't say that. Um, I mean, I love my courage. I love that I've overcome a lot of adversity in my life. Um, I, I, what I love about myself is how much I care about others. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there was, I got my tonsils removed when I was seven years old and I had to stay overnight in the hospital. And I'll never forget that there was this little, I was about, like I said, seven, there was this little girl, I would say she was around three. And I'll ne- it's, it, her image is in my mind. She, I guess it, it, she had a bunch of tumors, really large tumors all over her face that were sometimes bleeding. She was obviously very sick and I don't know what came of her, but I befriended her and I would take her around the hospital and hold her hand and uh, just sort of hang out with her. We would eat ice cream together and ginger ale, like the things that they give kids (laughs) in hospital. Um, And I think that's reflective of just my, my caring nature and it, and I was seven. So I think it was a very big part of mine. I think that's something that continues um, today. So you, you do to me, uh, you seem rather warm, really inviting mm-hmm. and very kind at the same time. So, and, and, and really compassionate too. So that all goes hand in hand with who you are and your experience. And we didn't even touch on mm-hmm. your, your actual journey, which probably we need to have another conversation on. And I would love that if you would love that. Uh, sure, I would love that. I think there's so many other areas that we could actually talk about, uh, about your life. But um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today, your your wisdom and your advice. This is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite okay. question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Whoa. And it would be all things that I said? Yeah. Or just, yeah. (laughs) Crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Um, 
I think, you know, I'll just share where my mind goes to first, you know, maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and be like, I really wish I had said something different, but you know, I think that, um, what every single person can relate to is the feeling of heartbreak, at least after a certain age, after a certain age, I think everyone has experienced loss at some point, loss of a relationship, loss of a loved one. And so I I think that it would be centered around um, how to pick up the pieces of your life after extreme heartbreak. And um, that one of the things would be that um, not to hang on to people who don't want to hang on to you anymore. And to there would be a lot of reassurances in there that you will get over that person, even when you think you're not going to get over that person. Um, it would be to stop tolerating nonsense from people you barely know. So start stop dating people who are not treating you well. It would be to... Um, tell people to be brave and to meet needs as much as you want your needs to be met. It would be um, to take more risks, to have an adventure. These are all the things, the messages that I, that I share and that we are the common denominator in all our relationships. So if something is not working out relationally for you, you have to look within first. So I'll leave it with that. <laughs> That's a good send-off message for people to think about. Julian, yeah. I love this conversation. I would love to have another one with you once again. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.